Welcome to the Swim is Cancelled podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Christina Roberts, owner of Enflight. Welcome to the Swim is Cancelled podcast. This is your host, Christina Roberts. Thanks for joining me. This is episode eight. I am so excited to share my next guest with you. But before we get there, I just want to share a little bit about me with you. I am the owner of Enflight. I launched this company last year out of a personal desire to share the connection of mind-body with athletes. My primary mission is to support you, the athlete, with specialized programming that focuses more on recovery, prehab, and other mindfulness techniques that can help elevate your endurance performance. Yoga programming, breath work, mindfulness, endurance sports coaching, including run and triathlon. Check me out. I'll share all things interwebs in the show notes. I hope to hear from you soon. Now, my guest, Jesse Morton Langhog. Wow. I saw her picture October 12th on the Destination Trail Races Instagram page. She was the first female to cross the finish line after running 248 miles in Moab. Trails, not flat. Day, dark, heat, cold. All the elements, all the things. Highs, lows. Her photo post-race, literally just crossing that finish line, is nothing but radiance. The smile, uplifting, absolutely incredible. I needed to speak with Jesse. I reached out and we set this up. This is her first podcast, which I found to be absolutely incredible. I was so honored that she hopped on the opportunity with me. You know, I could go on and on about all the pearls I pulled out of the conversation, but I don't want to influence your interaction. Grab your pen and journal, lean into the conversation, get a good listen. I hope it feeds your soul as much as it did mine. Enjoy. And we're recording. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too. Um, I appreciate you sending me uh, information on your book. I ordered it. I can't wait. I read the first chapter and like the first paragraph of the second because that's all Amazon would allow me to do. I kept clicking. I'm like, I don't understand why I can't get any further. Um, And there was just so much packed in there already. And the one thing I really wanted to start with was your... You're a working mom. Yes. And yeah. a high school chemistry teacher and yoga teacher and yeah, full time. And my daughter is six and a half. She's in first grade. Aww. And I'm also, I'm a huge family person. So I, you know, like I really believe in connections. So when I'm with her, I'm with her, you know, so like I leave my work at school when I'm with her, my phone's away. Like I, I want to give her the attention that we do. So, um, or that we have. So, um, I try to be a really present mom. <laughs> and when you're on the trail, you're on the trail. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, you're going to know when you read my book that the power of now by Eckhart Tolle is 
like huge for me. And so I really, I, meditation is a huge part of my life. And I really believe in being in the present and being in the now and, you know, taking like what life is giving you at this time. So yes, <laughs> when I'm training, I'm training. When I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm a mom, I'm a mom. So yeah. Did you develop that through your yoga practice and studies? Was there you know, something in your life that, you know, allowed that, um, to click and you decided I need to live in the now moments are short. I want to, you know, give my all be mindful in my interactions. Like how did that come into being for you? So this is going to be uh, a little bit of a long story and I'll try to make it. <laughs> nope. I'm ready. But, um, so when I was in high school, I got really sick. Uh, it was my senior year in high school. I was top of the cross country team. Uh, it was right before state and my body just started shutting down. So like my hemoglobin got really low. My, I was constantly anemic. Um, I had migraines all the time. My body ached, my kidney shut down. Um, I just started losing a bunch of weight. And, um, so long story short, I found out 10 years later that I had Lyme's disease. And so uh, at that time it was chronic and I had gone through lots of traditional medicine um, where nobody really had any answers for me. And so I finally, like, I was so tired of just their answer being, you know, basically use steroids, prednisone as pain relief or will just give you more pills to help manage all these pain that just like made things worse and worse. So I eventually went holistically uh, and found this doctor in Post Falls, Idaho that said, you know, he basically like said, you're one tough little sucker. Like most people that come into my office in your state can't even get out of bed. Like the fact that you're walking into my office, you know. Um, and so I worked with him for a few years and he got me well again, but the treatments were just so brutal that I was like, I'm not living. Um, and so I decided, you know, like something's got to change. And I went into yoga teacher training uh, at the same time because I had kind of given up running because my joints were, my, my knees were going, my hips were going, it was really painful. Um, and so I got into yoga because it was like a practice that I could pull myself out of my physical pain by through meditation and things. And it was like something that I could do where my body didn't hurt. And so I started to practice yoga. And I, I mean, that's a huge long story too, because I was like driving down a street and I saw this really cool building. <laughs> like, oh, that's a cool building. I need to go in there. And so I went in there and I was like, well, what's happening right now? And they're like, well, there's a class starting right now. And I was like, sure, I'll take a class. And then like, you know, went into this yoga class and the instructor was like amazing with her little, you know, uh, little, um, what do they call those chime bowls? And just like, she was just so awesome. And so I was like, wow, this is like, it just fed my soul. And I was like, this is where I needed to be at this exact time. And my body feels so good right now. My mind feels so good. Like I just, I hadn't felt that good in years. And so I started on that journey of uh, yoga. And then I took yoga teacher training 
and my teacher was talking about this time that she went to India and it was like such a silly story. She was like, yeah, I was sitting on the porch with Sherifka, who's our Gurukha, and um, she said, you know, he looked at me and he saw that I was drinking milk chai and he's like, I know the reason of your pain. And she said, okay. And he's like, you're drinking milk. And that's why you're having these digestive problems. Like the simplest story. And after class, I went up to her and I said, Jennifer Allen, I need to go to India. And she said, yeah, I think you do. And I was on the plane like two weeks later, you know, and I went there. And at this time, like before this, I was always, I was a person that was just go, 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 go. Like anything that I could do to get out of the moment, because my body had so much pain all the time that if I just kept moving and if I was so scheduled, like, because if I had scheduled to my day, then a day would be over. And that would be one more day that I had survived. I know this sounds like really weird, but like I had so much pain in my body that I was just like, that's how I survived was like day by day. And so I was constantly just like, do this and then do this and whatever I could do to not allow myself to feel, not allow myself to like, you know, be present. And then I go to India and it was like, my car arrived, Sherifka came out, he shaked my hand and he's like, we're going to go to the Ayurvedic hospital. So I sat in this room as Sherifka and this Ayurvedic doctor talked in Malayalam, which like I don't understand. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, we're admitting you to this hospital. And so then I stayed in this white room with nobody to talk to and like nothing to do and trusting in this like crazy treatment where they put me on this like half wooden coffin, what it seemed like, and like, like rubbed me with oil and then spices <laughs> and herbs on me like I was a steak, you know? And I just like sat there for like two hours in this like seasoned beef thing. And I was just like, okay, but I'm gonna trust that this is gonna help, you know? And um, I used to go for walks. Uh, it was like my time to be like, okay, I'm going to like, I left the hospital and I would walk from the hospital to the Sunshine House. And uh, I got to Beach Road, which was along the beach. And there was something just magical about the water. And I like took my shoes off and felt the sand and like watched the waves and really like something changed, you know, like I was like, I was at peace with myself and I was at peace with where I was. And for the first time, and I don't know how long I was just like, got to know myself. And I realized like how much I had just been go, 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 go and avoid this and avoid that. And the other funny thing is before I went to India, my friend had given me the book, The Power of Now. And I opened up the chapter. I was like, what the crap is this? Like, I don't understand anything. And I closed the book and I put it on a shelf. And then I went to India and I just like spent so much time alone and realized, like just built this new relationship with myself and appreciated, I think for the a really long time, the world around me. 
and saw just, you know, like they, I went during monsoon season and it would just downpour and you couldn't do anything. And I just like, I kind of watched and I watched how the people would stop and go out on their porch and they would watch the rain and listen to the rain and just be, and it was powerful. And then one day I did that. Like I was out there and I had my umbrella and I like was just in the rain and I was like, I don't like something in my heart just changed. It just clicked. And I just realized like how important it was to be present and to be in the now. And like after that whole thing, I ended up going to an ashram and I was on a boat ride with some people and we're just chatting. And the one lady said, have you read The Power of Now? And I was like, no. And she's like, because you honestly sound like him. How you're talking, you sound like him. So I went home and I picked up the book and I freaking devoured it. I was like, because that, everything that he had talked about had happened. Like my, my, everything in me had changed in that really short six week period. My mind had changed. My heart had changed. Like, I started to love myself and accept where I was and just like, so to answer your question, no, I wasn't always like this, you know, be present. I was always distracted and I was always like, you know, go here, go here, go. It was very, you know, and I went, I went three consecutive summers and um, the last, I can't remember if it was the second or the third year, I was now sitting on the porch with Sherika. And he looked at me and he's like, you're a completely different person now than who you were. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when you first came, you were always like looking here and there, like what's next? What are we going to do? What's here? And he's like, and now you just sit and you're just, you know, and I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Like I just, I had, I came home, I changed my friends. I changed like, you know, and and this was halfway through yoga teacher training. And when I came home, I was in the bathroom and uh, like one of my yoga teacher training colleagues, she was like, you're lighter. Like your whole aura has changed, you know, like it, it totally changed my life. <laughs> like it changed how I thought about things. It changed how I approached life. It changed my relationship with myself and just like, you know, it, it really taught me that there is power in being present and power in like learning how to disconnect from, you know, you don't need to be absorbed in other people's lives and on social media and like all this, like, it's really important. The most important relationship you have is with yourself, because if you don't learn to love yourself and have that relationship with yourself, like you can't give to anybody else. And for so many years, that's what I had been doing. It's just been surviving, not really living, just surviving day to day, like counting my, counting my meals, like, hey, breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime. Yes, I made it through the day. And now it's like, you know, I mean, even to this morning, I went for a run and it's just like noticing the trees and notice like it's just everything has meaning now, you know, and it's. Like I, I'm, I'm grateful for, for so many more things and I don't take for granted a lot anymore. So That's such yeah. a wonderful story. <laughs> I have so many questions. Well, so the first, the first one I'll ask is, um, 
I agree with you. And I, there's a, there's a lot to be said about the relationship that you have um, with yourself, uh, how you talk to yourself. Uh, and that is, winds up being a projection onto those around you. So how you really treat yourself is how you will um, treat others at the core, I, I believe anyway. If, if and when you've encountered people who are in that type of survival mode, uh, and if you are connected to them in such a way that it can be um, comfortable for you to, to say something, what is the one thing you would say to that person to, to help them maybe reframe where they are or, or focus more on the moment and take in all the good things that are around them and try and um, you know, maybe just acknowledge negativity, but try not to get sucked into that. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is, like, the pain body is is big. And when you are in pain, it's really hard to look outside of it. And so, um, I mean, probably the biggest thing is start practicing some sort of meditation. And, you know, meditation is can be so like so many people. So I also teach yoga. And so when I teach my students like meditation, they usually, when people think of it, they're like, well, I don't want to, I can't sit. I can't calm my mind. And it's like, you don't need to. It's, you know, basically how I view it is you are sitting in a movie theater and you're watching the screen of your own mind, your own life, and you're not having any attachment to it. You're just allowing it to flow. Right. And so like my meditation isn't sitting in front of an ultra, an altar on a pillow like it used to be, but now it's going out in the mountains and running and just letting my mind flow. So when you're, when you're in your pain body and I know like there was times where it was all I could do to, for me to function. So like if somebody asked me to do something, I would snap because it was one more thing. Mm-hmm. So like now it's like, I just, I just have to take like deep breaths and just be like, you know, this, this, this too shall pass. Like it's just, so I would, I would say that if somebody is in that state is, you know, understand that out of every low, there's going to be a high. And it's really hard to see that when you're in the low, but if you spend some time in just with yourself in the quiet, however that looks for you, whether that's like listening to music lying on your bed, whether that's like going for a walk, whatever it is, like just having some quiet time where you can just, you can just be where, which I know is hard because if it's like, okay, well, I don't feel good. So how can I just, how can I just be like, you know? Um, and I, I get that. Like what, the other thing is, is movement. For me, like I knew as hard as it was to get out of bed in the morning that I knew that if I got up and I started moving, that I would feel better. As hard as those like first few movements were, I knew that my day would go better. My mind would be better if I just got up and did something active. Now that can be walking, swimming, running, whatever it is. Um, because that allows like 
that allows all the circulation, that allows the energy to start flowing through the body. And then your mind is going to get a little bit clearer. You're going to be, you know, you've got the endorphins that start to flow, like all of that. So um, people that are, that are really sick, got to move. You've got to move. I mean, even if it's just a walk, try to get yourself out of bed as hard as it is once you start to move, you will feel drastically better because now you're allowing energy to flow. And if energy doesn't flow, you're just going to be stuck in this stagnant spot and you're not going to heal. You've got to have energy to flow in order to heal. Um, and that those first few steps are the hardest. And I know that I, like, I've always kind of had a strong mind that I knew that like when I was really, really bad, I still forced myself because when I didn't, I felt worse, you know? So um, definitely movement and meditation, it, as I'm huge on it. Um, and whatever, however it looks, you know, probably the movement is gonna be easier for people than the meditation because sometimes meditation practices can be scary. But um, I think they're only scary because, like, it's hard to have a relationship with yourself. It's hard to look at yourself. It's so much easier to have relationships with other people. Oh, it's oh for sure. Things out and be like, you're doing this wrong. But it's like, it's harder to say that about yourself, you know? So self-reflection is hard. It is. And, and I think if you just take meditation as a, an independent practice, there are a lot of assumptions around it that aren't just assumptions of the actual practice, but also what it's supposed to look like. Um, so it looks like somebody sitting in front of an altar, uh, which for a lot of people, that is uh, a relationship to religion. Uh, so there's, you know, a little bit of, you know, that connotation around it and sitting still is hard mm -hmm. it is hard to sit still in any type of seat and i think it's assumed that you need to sit and you need to sit in stillness but you know to your point there's um you know mindfulness you know walks and there are you know mindful eating exercises you can certainly find your own way of meditation through movement as opposed to stillness but at the end of the day, both of those types of practices come together to create like that inner, that inner calm, that inner stillness. That's really what the goal is. And I think there's um, just a lot of um, misinformation and assumptions about it. So you, you, you brought up one thing that um, I was going to mention too is my third thing is look at your food, right? Like, um, so... I was fortunate enough to be kind of a hippie teenager yeah. and I really got into the organic food and learned about health and wellness when I was an early teen. So I kind of had that background and I was super grateful for it because uh, like if you're, if you're sick, then your body is probably like has a lot of inflammation that's going through it already. And so if you're eating a lot of food that translate into acidic, you know, when you're eating it, then you're only going to make your conditions worse. So, and this doctor in Post Falls, Idaho, like I'd have to test my urine pH every day. Wow. And that would let me know, like, am I, you know, am I eating too many acidic foods? Do I need to eat more, you know, 
leafy greens and all that other kind of things. So, you know, like I, I don't want to make anybody feel like, oh, I can't, I'm, I'm prescribing a certain diet because I'm definitely not because what works for one person is, doesn't necessarily work for the other and we all have to decide what works best for us. But I mean, I stopped eating meat when I was a teenager. Um, <clears throat> and so things like refined foods, 100%. Very, very acidic in your body. So acidic environments translates into inflammatory responses, which makes disease and pain worse. Right, so you've got to try to increase that pH, and you're going to do that by eating more green leafy vegetables, more basic foods. Um, and that's not to say fruit's not bad, but I wasn't allowed to eat fruit past 12 p.m. because it would create too much of an acidic environment. You know, um, unfortunately, for you know, meat does the same thing. If you eat a lot of red meat or that, it also creates acidic environments in the body you know um so looking at food and trying to eat more more whole in season what nature gives you right like if you have to cook it too much you probably and i'm not a raw person but i also try to eat colorful foods right things that like you have to chew when you before you can swallow them and just you know so um movement what you put into your body um, and then getting that relationship with yourself through being quiet, through meditation, however that looks for you. So those are probably my, my three things that I would say would, you know, for helping people that are kind of in that, that low. And none of those things are easy, right? So you've got to do something for, I can't remember if it's, I don't if it's 10 consecutive days or whatever before you start to like create some sort of a habit. But, um, you know, the first step is always the hardest. There is really interesting research behind that one thing, which is how many days does it take for habits to actually form? I think the shortest amount of time is uh, 10 to 21 days. And then the longest is between 70, um, you know, I think around like 70, 75 days. And the point being, and, and you, you bring this up as well, it is a daily, it is a daily journey that you need to uh, commit to every step of the way. And it might not be something that, um, let's just say tomorrow, I wind up not having a really good day and I, you know, fall off the proverbial wagon and I just need to know I'm going to recommit it to, you know, the, the moment I realize I'm, I'm not engaged with myself anymore. I'm not in the, in the process. I'm going to look forward to the next moment to, you know, get back at it again. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely not easy. It's easier to fall into, um, you know, behaviors that are destructive, whether it's, you know, to your physical body, to your mind, your soul, um, over time, of course, that's, you know, not, uh, you wind up creating, a more challenging journey. Um, so it's dependent, you know, where do you want to do the hard work? Do you want to do the hard work in the beginning and sustain something that's beautiful throughout the years? Or do you want to, you know, blow it all in the beginning and then, you know, struggle through the end of your life wherever we transition um, beyond here? So, you know, where, where do you want to work hard? Right, exactly. Um, <clears throat> and failure's good. Yeah. Failure's so good. Like I can tell you, I have learned 
more from my failures than any of my successes. And that sounds like so cliche, but it's like you fail and you learn from it and you get better. You fail again, you learn from it and you get better. So um, yeah, we're not, we're not all perfect. We're not all going to get it the first time. So if you fall off the bandwagon one day, it's like, okay, well, start again, you know? And with the, I always say too, like, it's so much easier. If you have 10 people tell you positive things and one person tell you a negative thing, you're going to remember the negative thing rather than the positive thing, you know? And so even with my daughter, when she like, you know, starts, you know, saying something bad about herself or whatever, I'm like, okay, now say something good. Like, I want to hear two positive things about yourself, you know, because it, it's, it's so ingrained in us to, like, choose the, see the bad, see the negative, what we're failing at, what we're falling short on, and that needs to change. <laughs> oh, my know? gosh. Absolutely. I totally agree. So that's actually a pretty good, um, a pretty good transition. When, when you're out on a run, regardless of how long or short, however, I think the longer you go, the more um, potential pitfalls you have to, to dip into negative self-talk. How do you write the ship? So when you're stuck in a rut and, you know, I'm not going to make assumptions, but I would think maybe when you're doing a hundred mile run, when you're, when you were out there doing the Moab, you had more than one, you know, moment of negative self-talk. So how do you get after it time and time again to get yourself in a better place? You know, I think a lot of this comes with experience as well. Um, I mean, once you do a few of these, you realize that the lows don't last and that at the bottom of every low, you're going to have a high. Like you're going to feel so awful and then things are going to turn around and you're going to feel great. Um, With Moab specifically, uh, that first day when I read the water wrong and I ran out of water... Mm. And I had this, like, I, I was like, oh my God, like I fucked up. I I like, this is not good. You know, like, and I kept just being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just read the water wrong. Like, how am I going to make 15 miles? Like, it's so hot, you know? And I was like, you have no choice. Like, you're just, you got to You got to try to preserve what you have and, hopefully you'll get there. And like, thank goodness the aid station for some reason was like on my watch two miles sooner. And I was like, just in time. You know? <laughs> um, but the damage was still done. I had still gotten dehydrated. And so probably within five, six miles of leaving that aid station, I got nauseous. And my nemesis has been nausea. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, when you have Lyme disease chronically, you're always going to have issues. Like you can have, you can feel great for years and then things will go wrong and you'll feel really bad. And it's, it really destroyed my gastrointestinal system and my pancreas, my liver, like all of those things. So this last summer, um, things had started 
started to go bad. You know, like I had blood work and my Lyme markers were up and my liver was not functioning. My pancreas was not functioning. And as a result, I, my last few races, I had been throwing up for 40 plus miles, not being able to take anything in just awful. And I, I knew that if I went into Moab and that started to happen, I would not finish. So when that nausea happened to me at like mile 45, I was like, oh shit, please God, don't let this be, right? Like this, like what am I, 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 I had to problem solve and I had to be like, okay, like I'm going to slow down. I hit that low. I took some Zofran, it didn't work. I took another Zofran. It, I was still really nauseous. Um, I just, I walked a ton, I slowed down, I laid down, I tried to just be like, okay, like you, we're just going to try to get this manageable. Then when I, when you get to mile 72, you're going to sleep to try to see if that helps, you know? So I kind of already had these little things in my head. Um, <clears throat> and so th- that was really low. Like that was, I, I had so many people pass me awesome. because I was in the lead pack and I just had to let people go. And not let it get to my head, being like, you, this can turn around, you know, just one foot in front of the other, try to, try to drink, try to hydrate, just get to mile 72. And so when I got to mile 72, I slept for half an hour. I woke up, I puked out everything and I felt great. And I was like, yes, you know, and usually when I open up that like vomiting bucket, it just keeps going but it didn't. And I felt great for the rest of the race. So um, the reason I bring that up is because on days after when I started to get low, I was like, okay, it can't be any worse than the first day. Can't be any worse than the first day. You got out of that. You got out of that low. Um, And I also learned that, you know, once I rested, whether it was sleep or rest or whatever, as soon as I got up from that little rest, I was back to running pretty fast miles and feeling really great. So um, at the bottom of every low, there was always like this super hyper high, right? Where it was just like, okay, like I just tanked, I just bombed. Uh, I'm gonna sleep or I'm gonna sit on the side of the trail. I'm gonna whine and then I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna start running, you know? So it was, it was constantly just this up and low, up and low. Um, and then I got that awful blister on my pinky toe at like mile 150 and I had to stop and I always bring a little medical kit and I popped it, alcoholed it, wrapped it. And then, you know, that, that guy was with me for like, after the race, I looked at him and he was like this huge, big, bloody blister. Like he was just awful. Like he never quite went away, but, um, and my, my feet hurt me for a lot of it. Uh, and the, yes, that first day was really low. That last six to 10 miles was probably like the hardest. And I think it's because I'm like, damn, I'm so freaking close to the finish. Like your body just starts to say, okay, I'm going to let you feel all the pain and all the fatigue and all the heat and all the dehydration and all the, you know, every little rock and all this, I'm going to let you feel it all because now we're almost there, you know? And so I was like, 
I'm just, I'm not stopping. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Like, I'm just going to get to the finish line. And then all these mountain bikers just kept coming. And so I was like, I had to stop for the mountain bikers. And I was really frustrated. And I was like, really mad, you know? And then I was like, you got to pull yourself out of this. And so I started chanting my mantra out loud, which I usually do in my head. But I was like, you know, and I had my pacer with me and he was in front of me and he was like, what, what? And I was like, no, I'm responding. I'm just like, pain is temporary. I am strong. Pain is temporary. I am strong. Pain is temporary. I am strong. Like over and over and over again. And it, it's true. Like it allowed me like, yeah, this too will pass. You're not going to be in this pain forever. You are stronger than you think you are. And, you know, and then that's probably why I, I was so, looked so good at the finish line. I, I was like, woohoo, like, yeah, I mean, positive self-talk. I learned that, I, I, I learned that, you know, a while ago when, you know, when I first started doing long distance running, it was probably, it's probably about six years ago. And um, I hated hills. I hated yeah. hills. I know. I was like. <laughs> what else can I choose that has the most descent so I can work the least hardest, right? So I can, it can be the easiest. What route can I choose that I can, my watch can tell me I've ran the fastest, you know, like I'm so addicted to paces and times and like, you know, I could have my husband drive me up to the top of the canyon so I could run down in record time, you know? Um, and then like, I mean, I signed up for my first ultra and you got to train hills. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like every time I'd run up a hill, I would say out loud, I love hills. I love hills. I love hills. I love hills, you know? And now I love hills. Like, like uphill's definitely my strength, you know? So, um, I'm a huge proponent of positive self-talk. I freaking talk to myself all the time, all the time. So, um, yeah. And my, my other, if I also got really low besides the, you know, just eating food, taking a rest, just deep breaths. Like a, a lot of times it sounds like a horse too. Like, I'm just like, you know, just like get all that stuff out, yep. you know? Um, <clears throat> and knowing that like, it's, it's eventually you're going to come around. And if it's not working, I throw in my earbuds and I turn on some music and I just like, I just go and I just listen to the music to try to like pull me out. And it usually works. I was going to ask if you kind of employed any breathing techniques, um, either to get going, to get yourself out, get yourself out of a bad place or to, you know, maintain some sort of, um, you know, pace over a duration. Yeah. I like the, I like the horse exhale. It's really good for your jaw. Yeah. Cause you hold so much tension, sure. you know, with Moab, like, I mean, my pack was so heavy. Like you have to carry so much stuff, you know, yeah, how can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, I mean, we had mandatory gear that we had to carry. We had to carry, you know, your, you had to track your device on there and that's not really light. Um, you have to have your GPS, which is your phone. You have to have a whistle. You have to have a hat, pants, long sleeve, um, and then you're in the mountains, things can change. So I had a raincoat, a puffy coat, you know, beanie gloves, and then 500 or maybe was it 500 extra calories? 
plus all the calories you're going to use, plus three liters of water, plus the rock that I was carrying from my daughter. Like I was going up Shea Mountain, saw this rock and I was like, so beautiful, like stick it in my pack. Like so many, you know, so I got to that, I got to that Shea Mountain aid station and my mom, she was so great. She was such an amazing crew uh, person. And I'd get there and she'd like clean out my pack and she's there now. She's like, what the hell is this? Like, I guess I can't throw that away. It's got to be something if she's carrying a big rock in her pack like up a mountain. So yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's in your pack. Um, I was so blessed to not have any chafing. None. What? I know. I was like, the gods were with me there. Like, I mean, I had KT taped my collarbones. I had KT taped my spine, my um, breastbone, like all the places that you could. Sure. Um, I took so much time at the aid stations to lube my feet. I had lube with me that I was constantly like lubing the inner thighs and, you know, like your private parts because yeah. I mean, that's it happens. it's going to go, you know? So I, I did. I took extra time at all the aid stations just because you wouldn't see your crew for, you know, like sometimes 50 miles. So you had to be ready when you were left that. So I, I normally want to do hundreds. Like I try to be in and out of those aid stations five minutes or less. And, um, there were times in Moab with the sleep and the eat and the, the lubing and the taping, the blisters and the changing of the clothes and changing of the shoes and all that, that I was there for an hour, you know, but I mean, you got to do it. Yeah. So, that's great. You know, um, the chafing can just destroy you. Um, that physical pain really, really melts into your head, uh, for sure. And can create an incredible experience. Um, one that you don't really want to ever talk about. Yeah, I did, uh, Orca's 100 in February and the weather was nuts. Like it torrential downpoured on us for like 14 hours and like horrible winds, freezing cold temperatures. Uh, it had flash flooded that area the week prior. So that course is four loops of the same loop. And so we had to go through these like puddles that were up to our knees and frozen. And so like, and mentally knowing you have to do that over and over again. And um, <clears throat> the... I can't remember if it was the third or the fourth loop, but I came in and my mom's like, you need to change your vest. And I was like, I don't want to change my vest. She's like, it's soaked, Justin, change your vest. So I put on uh, another vest and within five miles of leaving the aid station, I was like, this doesn't feel good. Oh. And I was chafed like all under my ribs, like the most painful and it was awful. And so I was like, and that was a 25 mile loop, right? Imagine if that happened at 25 miles of a 240 mile loop. So like, dude, I was lubing so much. Like, it was just like, you got to keep like, I'm not ha letting that happen again. So there was a, you know, I've done some, I've done some tough, some tough races that definitely taught me mental toughness. Like, you know, Bighorn was another one where it had, it had snowed the weekend prior and there was still snow up at Jaws. So one, one time I stepped into the snowbank and my legs went all the way down to my waist and I like fell like over 
right? Like I was, and then it was frozen water on the feet. And then it was like storming and raining. And you're just like, you just push through, you know? And I had an ear infection and that went into my chest cold. And it was just like, I, you know, like it came up to Jaws and my husband's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm so sick. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I looked at him and I was like, finish, of course. You know, and he's like, okay. You know, so I just like kept sucking on cough drops and, you know, just like I, I lost my shoe on that race in a like, <laughs> pile of mud and I was like, had to dig for it to try to find it. Like, you know, so I've, I've, I've done a lot of races that had like taught me, like, like really ultras are like life. They really are. The, you have to navigate the ups and the downs. And on every down, every low, you just know like, okay, this is my low. This is my down point. And I know that at the bottom of this low, there's going to be another up. And I just have to ride this low until eventually I come back up to that high. And that's the same with life. You're going to go down and then you're going to come up and you're going to have really shitty things that happen in your life. And you can't, you can't control that. You can only control how you deal with the shit when it comes to you. And so, you know, if you, if you lose your shoe in a mud pile, like you can say, oh, I guess I'm done. I can't run without a shoe. Or you can dig in the mud pile with your elbows until you find the shoe and then you can slosh the mud out, stick it back on and go again. You know, like that's life. You have stuff that happens to you and you can say, okay, I can't control what just happened to me. I can only control what I do with it, you know? And so I think that's why I really love ultras as well is because it is so much problem solving. Like this was my first uh, race greater than a hundred miles. And my friend, my friend Ben Light said to me, he's like, you're going to like, welcome to the 200 club. Like you're going to get addicted. And I was like, now that I've done it, I'm like, I freaking love 200s because it's so much more problem solving, you know, like, okay, this happened. What are you going to do for it? What are you going to do about it? You have a major blister on your toe at mile 150. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix it? So it's going to get you to the finish line. And, you know, like, it's like, oh no, we can, we can, we can fix it when we get to the aid station. And, you know, cause like, that's kind of what my pacer said, like, we'll just fix it when we get there. And pretty soon I was like, Tom, I got to fix my blister now. Otherwise it's going to be too bad and it could wreck my race. Right. So like stop, popped it, taped it up. And like, yeah, it's painful, but now it's better than it would have been had I not fixed it. So it's all these little, like all these little problem solvings, you know, like, um, like just blister, chafing. I'm, I'm really low. Like I'm feeling really tired. What do I do about it? Like, I really want to sleep. Okay. Well, I'm going to allow myself to sleep for 30 minutes. And so the first night when I slept for 30 minutes and my mom, like my alarm clock went off and I was like, Oh, I just want to go back to bed. (laughs) Sure. You can't do that. Like, come on, you got to get up, you know, and it's training yourself. Like, even though this is where you want to be, you have to get up. And as soon as you get up and get moving, you're going to be awake. You know, like you just kind of got to pull the sludge out of your eyes and, you know, like start running, wake up your legs again. Um, 
and then it got to where I was like, I'd come into an aid station and I'd say, okay, mom, I'm going to sleep for 15 minutes and wake me up in 15 minutes. And, um, I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'm ready. So I'd knock on the hatch and she'd open it up and I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to go. You know? So I just really, I learned to listen to my body. And then, then on times when I was like, I want to sleep for this long and this long only. And my alarm clock goes off or she wakes me up and I'm like, Oh, just give me another 30 minutes, you know? And I was like, Nope, got to get up, got to get going. Um, and I just think like, that's just, that's just life experience too. You know, like, because I'm a high school teacher and because I'm a mom and I want to give my child energy and I want to be able to give her attention. I don't want to run at 6 PM or 7 PM when that's, our time and our family time, right? I want to be able to cook good, nutritious meals and do her homework with her and, you know, things like that. So I, my alarm clock goes off between 3.30 and 4 a.m. And I get up and I run. And people are like, isn't like, how do you get up that early? I'm like, yeah, it sucks. But like, what's the other alternative? You know, like for me, I get the, every, the world is asleep. So when I get up and I go out on the trails, it's me, my headlamp and the mountain. That's it. And it is freaking magical, right? Like it is, that is my meditation. That is my time. And I joke all the time. Like if I don't get Jesse time, meaning nobody's talking to me, nobody's like asking me to do things. Nobody's like telling me to do this or that. Like, it's just me. Like that makes me a better person. If I don't get that time, if I don't like, I just, I'm, I'm not the best version of myself. And so for me, it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard when my alarm clock first goes off, but once I'm up, like I've just made one step closer to having a more positive day because I know that I've now, like, I'm going to be better today. I'm going to be better for myself. I'm going to be better for my students. I'm going to be better for my daughter um, because I'm getting Jesse time. And it's, it's invaluable to me. So like, there's been times when, um, like when my husband went to Europe and then he was like, his, his clock was all off and I woke up and he gets up and I'm like, what the hell are you doing up? Like, you can't be up right now. You need to go back to bed. Like, this is Jesse time. Like, you have time. Like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm having a conversation right now. Like, and he's like, you're not a morning person. I'm like, I'm very much a morning person. Hence the reason my alarm clock goes off at 4 a.m. But my morning doesn't involve you right now. Go <laughs> away, you know, like, yeah, because I need to have that just like, I need to have that me time to make me better. Like, that's what running is for me. Like, running is my meditation. Like, it is the time for me to be with me where I don't have to, you know, have people tell me what to do or how to be or, you know, or, demand this or demand that. It's just, it's just me. If I want to run slow, I'll run slow. If I run run fast, I'll run fast. If I want to walk, I'll walk. Like whatever it is. Like it's just, it's just me loving myself. And that's that's the most important thing, you know. And on days that I don't run, because I don't run every day, um, like I always take one day off, I still need to wake up to have like my cup of coffee, to have my quiet time. It just there's been days where I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. Snooze, snooze, snooze. And 
I'm not a good, nice person on those days. You know, I'm cranky and I'm irritated and I'm irritable and I yell and I'm like, I don't like myself. So like, yeah, I'm going to get up in the morning. So. Me too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> you know that 4 a.m. is actually a very auspicious time. Yes. Like it's, it's like when your mind is like, if you wake up and meditate at 4 a.m., it's actually the most auspicious time. And um, I kind of learned that in India too, when I was at the ashram and they did uh, a puja at the temple at like 4.30. And so my alarm clock went off and I was like, Damn. <laughs> right? no. come on, man, <laughs> up, you know? And then I was like, oh, come on, Jess, like, when are you going to be here again? All right, all right, all right. So then I like get out of the little place, I get on my bed, walk outside. And it was like, it was so spiritual. You just had, everybody was walking towards a temple and everyone was quiet. Nobody was saying a word. And it was like the most peaceful feeling. And I was like, wow. Yeah, this is what mornings like. This is why you get up before the sun, you know, because like everybody else is sleeping, and this is just your time, and it's 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 beautiful, and I love it. So yeah, yeah. I have two questions for you because I want to respect you respecting your family time. Um, <laughs> one is uh, following a run. Are you hitting your yoga mat? Are you hitting the mat beforehand? Like, how do you fit yoga into your your training schedule or your your running schedule? So, fortunately, I teach uh, two periods of yoga um, every other day in high school. Cool. Yep. I wrote the yoga program for Jordan School District, and I went to the district, and I got it on the catalog, and I teach it at school, and it's magical. So. That allows me to practice because I practice with kids. Um, and then on, uh, like during the summer and such, like I do, I also practice Kalari, which is an ancient martial art that I learned in India. And so on days when like I'm not doing yoga, I will do some, they call them mohars, where it's like dynamic stretching um, to just like, open up the body. So leg swings and, you know, things like that. And then, um, I do Hatha or restorative yoga okay. and I don't do it right after I run. I wish that I was better, but I will be honest. Like I usually, I'm like looking at my watch being like, okay, I got another half an hour. So I'm going to go this many more miles instead of being like, I'm going to just go home and do yoga. Cause I know as soon as I like walk in the door that I'm going to be like, do this, do that. So, um, I usually don't do them back to back and I've tried doing, you know, sun salutations before is kind of like warming up my body. I'm not super awesome as like warming up. It's just, it doesn't really happen for me. Um, so again, I'll do like leg swings or take my dog for a walk really quick or, you know, do some squats or whatever. Um, but then I will usually come back and like, in the summer, probably like once or twice a week, I will do restorative yoga or hatha yoga. And then during the school year, I'm probably practicing five to seven hours of yoga a week. So quite a bit. Uh, do the kids enjoy it? Um, 
Some do. I mean, there's going to be some that probably are going to say no, but I think what I get a lot is kids that sign up because they're like, oh, yoga, dude, I get to sleep. Like, this is going to be the easiest PE class ever. Totally. Um, they are definitely like, oh, crap, this is not the kind of yoga that, and we, I know they're high school students. I know they need meditation time. So we definitely do longer shavasanas. We do meditation days. We do restorative yoga days. I could give them a bunch of different types of practices, but um, it's usually those kids being like, I love yoga. Like yoga is like my favorite class of the day. And it's a lot of those kids that are my yoga kids that write me years later and tell me what an impact I've made. Like this oh, last summer. So wonderful. Sent me this huge long message on Facebook Messenger. And he was like, I was in a meditation and I felt inspired to contact you. And I just want to thank you for everything that you taught me. When I was in high school taking your yoga class, I had no freaking clue the impact that you would have in my life. And then years later when life got hard and I reflected on what you taught me, now I meditate like every day and you talk like just the blah, blah, blah. Like it was just so meaningful, right? So I know that even if they pretend that they're like, mm, I'm not really listening. Like I know that something's getting to them. Like I know, and I tell them, I'm like, if you guys get stronger, great. If you get more flexible, great. But my biggest concern is that you leave having more tools in your toolbox. So when life gets hard, you have something to pull out. Like you, I'm giving you tools to navigate your life a little bit better. That you can learn self-love. You can learn that relationship with yourself. You can learn to disconnect, you know? And so that's my biggest goal with them is just... I don't, I don't care how good of yoga you do. What I care is that you start to build that relationship a little bit better, that you learn how important being quiet is mm -hmm. and that you realize like, Hey, I can disconnect. And like, also yoga is kind of awesome. And it's usually my guys, my guys are the ones that are like, dude, yoga is awesome you know, and, and a lot of, you know, with yoga studios and stuff, guys are usually the ones like, dude, I'm not going to throw on some yoga pants and go in a yoga class unless it's to pick up chicks, you know, yeah. but it's, like, you know, my, my boy students are like, usually the ones be like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So, yeah. You know, and that goes a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier, um, meditation. There's um, just a, a lack of understanding of what it really is, and it can be intimidating. So it's not just spandexy stuff and super flexible people. Like I have seen not so many, you know, downward dogs that are worthy of a yoga journal cover. Um, but it's not about where your hands are a hundred percent of the time. It's not about, you know, how well aligned you might be to one instructor versus another. It goes way beyond that. Um, you and I both know that. And sometimes it's tough to translate that to, um, you know, others, there's more benefits. It's not just a, I'm going to get a sweat on and, you know, wow, this is really tough. My core is really being activated. Um, so much more than that. And I, I give you kudos to, pulling a plan together and presenting it to, um, you know, a, a school district, that's not an easy sell. 
And um, congratulations, that's really, really cool. It is, it's really the credit should go to my students because it was a group of students that um, they knew I went to India a bunch of times and I talk about all that. I'm, I'm very, very real with my students. Um, and so they're like, dude, we want yoga. Like if we get a petition and get enough signatures, like, can we have yoga here? And I was like, sure, like go petition. And they did it. And so I was like, okay, I'll research it. Okay, I'll go to the district. And then like my counselor comes to me and he's like, dude, can you teach 12 sections? Cause we have that many kids that want yoga. And oh, I was like, so cool. Yes. <laughs> awesome. My last question for you, if I put your earbuds in, what is going to play on your playlist? You're going to get a crap ton of everything. You're going to get uh, country. You're going to get heart. You're going to get like electronic techno stuff. It just put it on a big, huge shuffle to keep it interesting. Cool. But I'm going to say it's probably the ones that like stand out the most to me is, is heart. Like I will be belting heart out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some of my country ones like that my mom gave me the song or introduced me the song. It's like, that's why we drink. And I had that freaking song like over and over again. And it was a hard section and I was just belting that song out. And there was something about the energy of that song, which is like, I'm going to admit in front of everybody that yes, I do listen to country sometimes and even when I'm running. So, I mean, I was born on a ranch and it's going to be embedded in me a little bit, but um, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have this big, the only thing you're not going to get is like screamo hard rock and rap. Like that's not going to be because I really believe that, music carries energy and if you're listening to really angry hard music it just doesn't resonate with with me like it's i mean it, it works for some like my husband loves to listen to this super hard music and that's what he loves but it doesn't resonate with me so um you won't find that but you'll be like wow you're going from like 80s to freaking techno to like yeah it kind of goes all over I'd love to borrow your, your headphones one day. That'd be cool. I'd listen. Thank you so much for your time. This was totally cool. Um, I'm, uh, congratulations. I mean, we didn't really talk about it, but there was just so much. You, first overall female, Moab240, that is super cool. I hope you're still riding that high. I oh, am. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess there's one other thing that I'd probably, because um, I have people ask me, I, yes, I'm a competitive soul, um, but I told my crew, I told my pacers, I was like, I don't want to know what place I'm in. This is my race, and I'm going to run it the way I want to run it. I'm going to enjoy myself. Of course, I'm going to, I'm good at pushing myself, so of course, I'm going to push myself. Um, and I had some idea, but I didn't get super stressed if I got past. I didn't like see somebody and be like, oh, I gotta get that person. Like it, I was very, I was very present this whole run. And um, it wasn't until like mile 185 that my mom said to me, you know, if you play this next section right, you will win this race. And so then I was like, 
beast mode is on, you know, like let's start competing. But it was really important to me to just be present and let this be my own race. I didn't want to be like, oh my gosh, like I just got passed by this female. Now I got to go and, you know, see another lady come in. Like, I mean, we're all out there together and we're all helping each other. And we're all like, we're all trying to do this, you know, 240 miles sounded really like incomprehensible to me. And so I was like, I don't even know how my body's going to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to ride the highs. And when I was feeling great, I was like running fast and running good. And, and my pace would be like, Jess, you're, you're running kind of fast. It's my job to make sure you're not running too fast. And I was like, I'm going to ride this high. I'm just, I'm going to go like my heart rate's not too high. I'm just, I'm going to go with it because I know that eventually I'll hit that low and I'll be walking. So I'm just going to ride this high, you know? So it was like, the reason I'm so stoked about this race, it's great that I won. Like I couldn't be happier that I won. And I didn't win because everything went right. Like this wasn't like the best race. It wasn't, I didn't win this because, oh, I'm glad you had a good race, Jess. It was, I, I feel like, I was present the whole time. I was enjoying myself. I was laughing. I was cracking jokes. And I handled situations well. Problems came up. And I solved them. I didn't stress too much. Like, I mean, yeah, getting sick was really hard. But I didn't put all of my energy and just start negative self-talking, being like, my race is over. My race is over. I'm a failure. I didn't, I never did that. I never told myself I was a failure. I never told myself my race was over. I never did any of that negative self-talk. Um, I just, I rode the highs. I survived the lows. And that's why it turned out the way that it did. And I'm also, I couldn't be more grateful to my body for like doing what it did. Right. And I like my, I, I never want to be egotistical. I always want to be real. And I always want to be humble and just like, I'll never take it for granted. You know, like I'm super grateful that my body held up the way that it did. I had the best freaking team and I solved problems really well. Um, and I, and I think that's why things turned out the way that they did. And I had fun. Like I really had fun and that was important. The last six miles, maybe they weren't so fun. <laughs> you know, That's but- Okay. <laughs> you know like you like I I mean that's that's life man you ride the highs you survive the lows that's just that's what it is and that made your finish just that much sweeter that those last you know handful of miles in the grand scheme of the race were not all that great totally which is probably why my smile was just like it was so freaking radiant like I'm like who is this woman I really want to talk to her Thanks so much. And thanks for reaching out. Like, this was so fun. I mentioned this is like my first podcast and, and I was kind of nervous being like, oh my gosh, am I going to know what to say? And just, you know, but it was, it was fun just feeling like we're just having a, a conversation and it's, it's Yes, great. we are just having a conversation and if you'll entertain me in the future for like more conversation that doesn't even have to be recorded, like. Yeah, absolutely. It's me. I'm your gal. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Recover well, eat well, kiss your little girl. 
you so much. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Namaste. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That's a wrap. I don't really know how to close this. So I'm just going to say namaste. Thanks for listening to the Swims Cancelled Podcast. Download, subscribe, share on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Namaste.